building the trust with a family is part of how to be successful because these aren't like easy conversations you have to have. To humanize a connection with your client, they have to trust you. And they know that you have their best interest in mind and you're willing to explain every step of the process. That's how you kind of make it less of a weird transaction and more of a one person helping another person. In 2021, women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row. Yet equity partners and multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men. Only 22% of equity partners are women. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to Lawheart, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, build community, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is Lawhar. Jessica Givens has spent the last six years at the illustrious Cochrane firm and is passionate about complex litigation and mass torts. She has been awarded top 10 under 40 in 2022 by the National Academy of Personal Injury Attorneys. She has also received the Hugo L. Black Scholar Award and George Peach Taylor Award for Trial Advocacy. Today, she explains how to maintain a sense of community, even if the firm is 42 offices strong, why representation is critical to the advancement of women in the legal industry, and how one of the most useful and powerful tools at her disposal is one we all possess, delegation. Let's dive in. So when I started my practice, I actually worked for a law firm that represented large irresponsible corporations. <laughs> no, not always. I mean, you know, it's a little it's a little more gray than that. But when I started, I did civil defense work. At that time, I represented pharmaceutical companies and you know huge businesses. And I quickly realized after working there a couple of years that despite my colleagues being wonderful, it just wasn't my calling, you know? Mm -hmm. And then how did you get to the Cochrane firm? My husband is a lawyer Uh and my husband started out on the plaintiff side and has been doing that from the get go. And, you know, he would always tell me about it and tell me what his day was like and who he was representing and how how that made him feel, what, what impact he was able to have. I'm sure it was just the long con because now we obviously work together. And (laughs) so I joined him at the Cochrane firm. I think that if it had just been John, my husband, it would have been tougher, but I knew one of his partners, Angie Mason, who's at our firm here in Dothan. And she is so smart, a wonderful litigator, extremely talented writer, a great mentor is how I saw it. And that has kind of been exactly the way it went. I came to Dothan and started working with Angie as like my main partner I worked with. And we've been rolling ever since. We've been going. So you started as a biochem major at Samford University. How did you transition from a STEM degree to law? So the thing about learning for me, I did always like kind of the science and math lane. So I think that I and others assumed I would go to medical school or 
become an orthodontist or do something kind of like that. What I like most about coming to work every day and how I kind of ended up here as opposed to where I, where most people, including myself, thought I'd end up is I like learning. Always have. I like every subject. I love school. I love homework. Like I love it all. So being a lawyer, every case is different. You know, you deal with experts. You have to learn their craft. They have to be able to explain it to you and you have to be able to then relay that to a jury. And I feel like one of my biggest strengths is I don't think of myself as some genius or something. I just am really good at breaking complicated things down and making them simple for my brain. And I feel like most people's brains appreciate that kind of, you know, it's not dumbing it down. It's just taking away all the the extra stuff and getting to the point. So I like that in a legal career, you still deal with science. You still have to learn about how drugs work and you have to learn about how products you know, mechanically work and how things go wrong. You have to be able to understand that. So it actually, it makes a lot of sense to have a STEM background and go into the field of law. But I I think that a lot of people, you know, don't, don't necessarily see it that way, but they should. No, I absolutely agree. When you think about it, science is built on laws, (laughs) like rules, very strict things that there is no gray, it's black or white. So I actually think that that makes sense. Would you say that the learning, being able to learn is like part of your why, part of why you picked being a lawyer? Yes. And it is one of the things that keeps me here, you know, as opposed to doing something else. Yes. Yes. And then you mentioned Angie as a mentor to you now, as you were going through school, going through that like start of your career, did you have any other mentors that stand out to you? I feel like the biggest and best support system that I had throughout law school were the friends that I made in law school. So going from somewhere like Samford, which that's a whole, that's a whole other subject, but (laughs) going from somewhere that was conservative minded, a lot of the women who I went to school with legitimately did not care about having a career whenever they were done with college, which boggles the mind. But like, it was true. I like all these women who I was around, they were like, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't really want to work. And I'm like, why are you here? So then when I got to law school, all of the women that I met there were super career driven, had you know, I had some with uh, political aspirations and they're doing it. I had friends who knew exactly they wanted to be corporate lawyers. They wanted to be up in the contracts and they're doing it. So I think that the biggest support system and mentors were the people around me, like minded, driven people who had had goals like I had. Absolutely. Peers are an invaluable support system because you're sort of learning alongside one of another. So that makes perfect sense. The Cochran Firm has established itself as the country's premier victims advocate law firm. How does your role maintain that title? I think that our focus is not just on the things that we do all the time and we're great at, but we're not afraid to talk to different types of victims and explore areas of law and come up with unique legal theories to try to get those people relief, to try to bring justice to their situation. One example I've handled a lot of dead body cases, which is kind Mm. of an odd area of law. But when people 
have a family member who has passed away tragically. And then in the aftermath of all that, they are treated so in, in such a terrible manner in, in, in a way that's completely unjustifiable. It's wrong by either funeral homes or people involved in the investigation. So that's kind of one area where I d- didn't see that one coming. But once you talk to families who've been through it, you start to realize that they have been impacted in a way that's completely preventable. The level of notoriety that the Cochrane firm enjoys has been hard-earned. For female attorneys who are just starting out or are aiming for a level of success like yours, what are some critical elements that female attorneys should take? So obviously, females have a unique kind of challenge when you're starting out because right at the time when you feel like your career is taking off or should take off or you should be devoted to it and really deep in it, that's when you are expected sometimes to have a baby or start a family and have most of the weight of all that on your shoulders. While some people don't want to take that path at all, it makes it somewhat easier. But for people like me who actually, I did want that. It wasn't like my lifelong dream. And if I could have gotten out of birth, I would (laughs) have signed up for that situation. But, um, But what I will say is when I got to that point, when I first started out and I knew that my job while wonderful wasn't my path, I took the risk and made a move. And I, I think that sometimes as women, because we're so relied upon, it's hard to take those risks for ourselves to evaluate whether the path we're on is the right one and to, you know, have the guts to be like, you know what? this isn't it. And I, I can do what I'm, what I aim to do. And in the long run, even though it's scary right now, even though I'm cutting my salary big time at the end of the day, I've got to do what makes sense for me and what, what's sustainable because I saw that path not being sustainable for me. So, I I mean, I would advise people who are just starting out to really think about that. And then when you're in it, know that it's going to be different than what you thought and it's okay to change. Set expectations for yourself, just that things will be flexible. I love the way that you phrased that because I do think that sometimes there's a stereotype around women that we're risk averse. So what you said about we are typically relied upon, and that's very true, when you're taking risks, not usually the only people affected by those. So it, it makes sense that there's a lot of calculations that go into that. But excellent advice, um, I think, particularly for women who are as intelligent and driven to become an attorney, you know, to then take that and use it in their career. Uh, we talk a lot about personal branding on this podcast. Do you have a personal brand? And if so, how would you describe it? I feel like there are two parts of kind of being a lawyer. On the one hand, you've got your work in the courtroom. I'm, I'm serious. I'm prepared. I'm going to be the one who's read all the cases. I'm going to have notes. I'm going to have an, I'm, I'm prepared. I think that that is important to me and I want judges to see me that way. I want my clients to see me that way. But on the flip side, when I am dealing with clients or other lawyers and networking, I hope that they see me as someone who is funny. That's really important to me. I don't know why. I just want to, if I can bring people some joy 
if that's how I can connect with people, that's when I'm happiest. And I also want to be seen as compassionate, as someone who truly cares about her clients and about other people, really just generally a compassionate person. I just saw some statistics. It was from a study. I don't know the name of it, but it was what people look for in leadership and in management. And the number one thing was a sense of humor. So <laughs> I, I think that... <laughs> how do you get through the day yeah. without laughing about something? I just, that is like the thing as I, the more years that pass, the more I realize like whether I feel like I've done especially in social situations, if I feel like, yeah, that was good. I'm like, were people laughing? Yes. Uh huh. Jessica still got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's completely undervalued. It's something I look for. Like I'm looking for an opportunity for a joke at all times. So I think I it's very undervalued. That way. Right. That's a good way to be. I'd like to talk about your position in this multi-tier firm, the firm that has 42 locations. That's insane. And yes. over 100 attorneys. Where do you fit in to all of this? Are you the only one out of the Dothan location? We have seven attorneys here in the Dothan office, including my husband and including my father-in-law and my <laughs> brother-in-law. It's, so we have seven here and essentially... You know, we go to a lot of conferences where we have like Cochrane national meetings where all the lawyers get together. We talk about what cases we're working on and we use each other as resources, not just even the lawyers. Like today, we needed to find one of our clients lives in Virginia and we like the phone number's not working anymore. So we, mm. we emailed the DC office and someone up there was like, I know who you can use to find them, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we're, it's, it's a great place to be because you have the resource of all these lawyers across the country, whether that's for like pro hawking in, if you need to be admitted into a certain jurisdiction and you need a local mm. lawyer, well, we got lawyers everywhere. So nice. yes, so we are, we are one piece, but as odd as it sounds, the Dothan, Alabama Cochrane office is, is really a, a major player in all these firms across the nation. And it's where like the national administration is located. So like, this is kind of the hub of Cochrane. Big deal. Yeah. In big Dothan. deal. Who, who knew? <laughs> That's good. Seems like a great place to have a law firm. Yeah. It's lovely. I mean, Dothan, I said, I wasn't going to, I grew up here, said I wasn't going to move back. And then, you know, how life does you, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I actually do love it there. We're an hour from the beach and oh, that's perfect. three yeah. hours from Atlanta. And anyway, it's just easy and kind of maintains that smaller town, slower pace, which again was how I saw this being long-term, how I saw it being sustainable for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, especially raising a family to be able to have sort of a, a big firm that you can advance with but not in a major metro. That doesn't happen very often. So that's a unique, it's a unique thing. So what is your caseload like? So right now I'm about half of my cases are like individual incidents, you know, with, with people who've been injured or wrongful death or that kind of thing. And then the other half right now is mass tort work, like the 3M earplug litigation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're involved in that. Um, a couple of our cases are gearing up 
to be tried. And then we also are involved in the opioid litigation. We actually, Mm -hmm. along with others, represent the state of Nevada, which, you know, long story there. But so I would say it's about 50-50 doing mass tort work, which is those cases that involve a bunch of bunch of people versus the cases where I'm talking to the client, you know, every week and discussing updates in their individual case. You like that versatility? I do, but I do love mass torts is not, I don't like it as much as the other. I like the firms I get to work with. I like, there's benefits to it, you know, but there, you cannot beat helping a family, you know, just can't beat it. Yeah. I I see it. I get it. You talked about how you have like a network within all of your firms and how you can utilize and help each other. How do you maintain like that sense of community? Do you receive mentorship? Do you offer it? What is that like? When we all get together, it's clear that the goal is to make those connections. But I will say in our firm, that's important to people anyway. Like I have, when I joined the firm, people would come up to me and tell me how excited they were reach out to me if you need anything. We have some really, really accomplished female attorneys in our firm who would not hesitate to give me the help and have tried to, you know, have tried to get me to do more stuff. Like, you know, get in leadership early, get in there and make your name known and establish yourself and do it now. Don't wait like I did. So I am, I'm trying to heed their advice, but you know, there are days where, the puppies and the kids get out of control <laughs> and I think more stuff, but I know that it's worthwhile at the end of the day to do it and, and start as soon as possible. And then how do you connect with potential clients, such a big firm, so many locations, big reputation? How do you kind of humanize that when you have such an extensive reach? We've got this massive call center and, you know, mm. we've got these cases that come from all over and, and generally some of our cases are localized to our area and it's easy to just pick up the phone and talk to people and let them know that, that I'm going to be their attorney and they can call me and to introduce myself, meet with them, set up an appointment where I can see them in person. So they know who is handling their case. But then in cases that end up through referrals or whatever from, from all over the U S I think that, that that's, it's kind of the same thing. You just have to connect like you said, on a human level and let them know who you are. Let them know if, if they've lost a child, you know, like you have children, you mm-hmm. cry with them. I mean, and it's, it's not like you're trying to, it's just when you hear someone's story and you work for that family, you just, I mean, if you have any empathy at all, there's just no way not to get connected to that. And I feel like building the trust with a family is part of how to be successful because these aren't like easy conversations you have to have. This is not fun. And so if they trust you and they know that you have their best interest in mind and you're willing to explain every step of the process, that's how you kind of make it less of a weird transaction and more of a one person helping another person. Mm -hmm. Is there a standout case that you can share with us that you're proud of? 
I'm currently working on a very sad, but I hope an impactful case where an infant through what we allege is medical negligence died during a diagnostic procedure and it's still in litigation. So we're still rolling. So I can't really say that I'm proud yet, but what I will say is I'm proud to be working for this wonderful family. And I'm so proud that my job gives me the opportunity to make it imperative that a hospital, a doctor, whoever changes the way they work to prevent things like this from happening because it was preventable. So, I mean, I think that that's, it's right in front of me too. I'm like, that's what I was working on before I talked to you. So, and then, I mean, I have, again, these, the cases that I'm working on for families who've, who've suffered after they lost a loved one and then their bodies were mistreated after the fact. That's rewarding to me because I feel like a lot of people don't get it. And then I'm able to explain kind of what the family went through and what went wrong and what, what happened. And it, and people find that compassion where before they're like, why don't people, if they're dead, they're dead. But then once you actually tell them the story, they're like, okay, I get it. This is bad and it should never happen. Yes, exactly. I love that you picked your current case. <laughs> It is obvious that Jessica's passion has helped her stay in the legal field, but passion can only get you so far. I wanted to hear her take on why so few women end up at the managing partner level in multi-tier firms. I'm hopeful that it's shifting and boy, it should, because I tell you, I'm on a lot of boards and stuff and not that men can't be super effective at getting stuff done, but when you put a woman in charge, it just sometimes seems that things get accomplished more quickly on a better timeline and there's less like chit chat. For as much as women get a reputation for like chatting with their friends, every board meeting I go to, I'm like, dude, why are you talking right now? Like th- that guy just said that you're repeating the same. This is totally wasting my time. So in the legal industry, I feel like, you know, kind of with my law school class, it was like 50-50. And so it's getting better and better. More and more women are coming into these roles. But it has been kind of like an old boys club. I still I still feel it when I when I go into the courtroom and there's, you know, a male judge and his, you know, frat bro is on the defense side and they're finger gunning mm-hmm, each other. Like mm-hmm. there's still there is still that issue that women are gonna have to deal with. It's a little bit of a for years and years, it was a, a man's profession. And so I think that breaking that barrier has been a little bit difficult, but I do think it's changing. And, you know, Angie's our managing partner here in Dothan. And I think everybody's happy about that, you know? So I think it's just kind of old biases have a hard time dying, but I'm hopeful we're getting there. I think you're right. I do think it's changing for the better. And I love what you said because a lot of times the feedback on that, you know, is that women tend to be able to relate to the clients a little bit better. They can tap into those emotions, particularly when children are involved in things like that. But you're right. Like 
women get shit done. Like they'll roll their sleeves up and just get it done. Let's go. So I, I think that's sometimes like undervalued. People don't always point that out, but you're right. If you want something done, you know. We're list people. I can tear up a list. Like oh, we want we want to accomplish these things. If I'm in charge of something and I have some type of meeting, I'm not like a meeting for the sake of meeting person. So if we got some stuff we're going to accomplish by the next time, if we haven't crossed off most of those things, I'm going to be like, what are we doing? We got to check. We got to do something. We got to accomplish more, you know, but so I think that it's going to be, you will probably find hopefully in the next, I don't know how long, 15 years from now, that there are a lot of women in positions of power in this industry because you really do need that. Mm -hmm. I agree. In addition to the list, a very important tool, are there any other tools that make your life easier as an attorney? I think just acknowledging that, so I work too. So I'm going to pay for someone to clean my house and I'm going to pay for someone to do my yard. I'm not afraid to figure out what it makes sense to um, delegate. And that means like at home in my you know personal life that I have had not the best at delegating at work, could get better at that. But I think it's really the, the most helpful tools are the things that make my daily life and home life somewhat easier and less hectic because then I get to focus on the things that matter when I get home and I get to focus on my job and accomplishing the task I have set out for the day at work. I have decided that if, if I'm going to, you know, be a lawyer and have a career, then that means that I get to farm out some stuff. I can't, you really can't do it all. So find out the things that you enjoy doing and figure out a way to, you know, budget or whatever. It makes sense so that the extra stuff gets handled. I agree completely. Sometimes it's what you don't have to deal with that makes your life easier. That's how it is for me. Less on my plate is the best thing I can think of. Yes. So going back to women in law, the more examples of female lawyers that come to the surface, the better off the industry is as a whole. Why do you see representation as important? I think that part of it is just dispelling, you know, kind of the ingrained biases or presumptions that people have when they see a prominent female lawyer and when they start to see how different those female lawyers are, like they don't, they're not all like, oh, like I'm the aggressive, you know, bulldog lawyer. It's like you have the full range, just like with men of, you know, you've got some, some attorneys who are kind of seen as, as they're serious, they're tough, they mean business and others who are compassionate and so effective and like a surgeon getting in there and getting stuff done. So I think the more women you see and the kind of diversity of those people who rise to the top, it encourages those coming through law school or people in their firm who are like, can I really continue to do this? Like, how do I do it? Well, you start to look at people who explain, you know, maybe they took a few years off when they had kids. Maybe they decided to that their husband stays at home, what, whatever arrangement, however it's set up, if you see more representation of that and more creative solutions to making it work for you, I think that it's, it's better for those 
jumping in so that they don't give up. They get to say, oh, well, here's how they fixed that. Here's what they did to make their life easier. I think that that's crucial to keep women in here and not leaving. Yeah, super smart to defy the stereotype because the stereotype was that all lawyers were men. And now there's a stereotype attached to a female lawyer, like you said, very driven, very aggressive. To defy both, you know, that you can be soft or technical, not necessarily aggressive. And there's room for all of those people within this profession and value. Super smart. Super smart. So what can women lawyers do to increase their visibility? How do you get out in front of people? So my first thing I'd say about it is don't be afraid to ask. Like there's all these conferences where people are up there, you know, talking about whatever their, their specialty of law is talking about how you can improve. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is if there's a conference and you say, I'd like to speak on this. I had a case where this happened. This would be really helpful. Can I come talk? Can I come present? Can I present for this organization? Can I try to get a, a leadership role in this? People are excited about that. And so I think that if you search out for like conferences or, you know, your, it could be your local bar or it could be, you know, statewide organi- organizations or like associations for justice. What, you know, the defense lawyers have their own thing. I forgot, DIA something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But seeking leadership positions, which is really, I mean, as far as a time kind of constraint, it's not that big of an ask. And speaking at conferences and just getting your name and your firm's name out there is going to be a huge benefit because people will start to have conversations with you. You'll meet, you'll meet people who are doing kind of the same things and it creates its own whole separate network. That's very good for females. I think a lot of female attorneys wisely. So have turned towards social media, right? Yes. But you're reminding there is a traditional, a more traditional route to that. Like you said, starting locally, building that there, creating that network, maybe before you go digital, before you put all of your emphasis there. So I like that. I mean, both Mm -hmm. is even better. I do think that I agree. Social media is clearly the, you know, TikTok, all of that. If you want to get your name out there, that's a great way to do it. But also focus on the community of attorneys. So you've got a lot of old white dudes who still hold the reins in a lot of places. And if they say you have a great social media following and you present at a conference where they're like, well, she was impressive and Mm -hmm. she knows what she's talking about. And gosh, we need diversity. I think that if you can attack it from both sides, if you can go for the old school and do the new I mean, who can stop you? You talked previously sort of about like going into a courtroom, good old boys club and the finger guns. When you encounter stereotypes or maybe even negative assumptions, how do you move beyond them? Some days I don't roll well. They Mm -hmm. take me off. Mm -hmm. Other days when I'm more level-headed and I've had a good meal under my belt, I think that how I've operated my whole life has been you do the work and you put in the work and true, there are some things that are just going to be roadblocks, no matter how hard you work, no matter how correct you are on a theory of law, you still got a judge who can, you know, say your case is out. I don't like it. I don't think you've got a case here. 
But just like I've always done, if I continue to put in the work, if I continue to to be prepared and to know what the heck I'm talking about and to try to be creative where I can, then in the aggregate, I'm going to get one step closer to where I want to be. And at some point, the people who are just relying on stereotypes or like old school connections or my daddy was a judge, whatever. (laughs) At some point, that's not going to take them any farther than they're at right now. But if I keep trying to evolve and do better and learn more and be more prepared, then that's going to make the difference. I know it will. It always has. You just have to put in the work. 100%. A lot of what happens for female lawyers out of your control, right? Stereotypes, all of the things you just described, but being able to work hard, focus completely within your control. So I like that accountability. Let me do what I can do. What are your ambitions for the future? I just really want to continue to positively impact people's life in a way that matters. And I don't know if that's going to look like some huge case where tons of people are involved and I can help a bunch of people at once. I don't know if that just means year after year helping five families either in my community or outside of it and making the impact in that kind of, I guess, smaller way. I honestly don't know what the future will hold in terms of that. I think that um, probably it's something that my husband and I are going to do together. I think I see myself working with him like as a trial team in the future. And honestly, part of that is my way of combating the stereotypes and getting out there more. So John is a a deeply empathetic, kind person. He's an excellent trial lawyer and he doesn't have a lot of the stereotypes put on him maybe that I do. He would recognize I have lots of different strengths to bring to the table that could help on whatever case we may be working on together. And I think that that's not using him, but working with him and being a team with him will allow other, you know, women attorneys to see you can achieve whatever you want to and also do it kind of in a, in a way where skirting around some of those bad things that may not have completely dissolved yet. Hopefully I can help to dissolve them in my wake, but right now they're still there. And so working with, with a guy, I think is a good way in to having people see like, okay, she's not like a B word. She seems all right. You know, I'm not, okay. He seemed, he likes her. So I don't know. I, I just, it's kind of like a, like a, interesting way to try to work with the stereotypes that I know I'm going to be dealing with and minimize them to the extent I can for the benefit of clients. Because I do think that if you take those away, plus you get a woman's compassion, especially in terms of damages. Cause I think sometimes oh, yeah. men are not necessarily as great at talking about da- like all the time. John will tell me about a case And he'll be like, I mean, but like, you know, here are the damages. And it's a woman who's got, has had some medical issue and he'll kind of describe what, you know, she can't really exercise and like her voice sounds Mm. different. And, and he's, and he's like, I can tell while he's talking about it, he doesn't get it. And I'm like, no, this is why it matters. And so I get all fired up about it. And I feel like 
women can connect with people in that way. Cause he's like, Oh, okay. 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 I see that. Mm -hmm. So having his ability to get us in with a jury from the get go. And then my ability to kind of bring it home. I see doing that together in the future. What do you do when you need to decompress or take some time for yourself? Do you have any rituals or routines? Just really snuggle my dogs so hard. Mm, puppies. I, I do. Like I walk, I walk my dogs every morning. I love my animals just because I found that, I mean, I obviously love my kids too, but they're not quite as relaxing as snuggling a fluffy stuffed animal looking puppy. So I feel like the biggest stress reliever, although sometimes stress inducing, but mostly stress reliever is my freaking dogs. They just, they're like true emotional support animals. I can cry into them. They're fluffy. I don't know how else that's like, I just love my dogs. Okay. I don't think you need to explain it beyond that. (laughs) Also, I do have to stay active or I'll go bananas. So I run when forced by my friend with long legs and I play tennis and, you know, go to workout classes and try to stay super active because that burns off all the pent up energy. As more women enter the legal field, representation helps other women know that they too can accomplish their goals. To increase your visibility, social media is not the only answer. Ask to speak at conferences and take up leadership positions. Build your reputation in your local community. A big thank you to Jessica for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Laher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazers in your life. For more about Jessica Gibbons, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Laher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.